Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm the host of A People's Theology, Mason Meniga. In this episode, I talk with Flamey Grant. Flamey Grant is a Christian drag queen and musician and recently had an album go number one on the Christian music charts. You can get connected with Flamey Grant and their work in the links in the episode description. If you're a fan of A People's Theology, it would bring me no greater joy than if you gave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Also, if you feel so inclined, please support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Meninga. There are multiple tiers with wonderful rewards, including papers I write to even a book club. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology. Today, I've got Flamey Grant with me, which is probably the best drag name of all time. Uh, I mean, I don't know drag as well as like you do or certainly a lot of other people do, but my guess it's one of the better drag names. I know usually drag names have some sort of pun, but this is one of the better puns I think out there. Uh, But uh, anyway, how are you doing today? I'm really good. Thanks so much for having me. And yeah, I think for a very specific subset of people, I definitely have the best drag name. I don't know that it applies across the board, but I think some people are hear it and they're like, oh, that's the one. When you get outside of that niche of people, are they like really confused by the name? Like what what happens in those moments for you? Oh, yeah. So, so many times I have had to like pronounce it out loud before people get it because they'll see it and be like flammy or like and they just or they just. Oh my gosh, one time in, I did a show in LA for like, I was definitely the oldest person in the room and it was just lovely Gen Z musicians hanging out with them. And one of them (laughs) came up to me and was like, I don't get the reference. And I was just like, oh, I am so old. (laughs) But, you know, it's all good. Well, I mean... As long as it's like uh, somebody who grew up in like Christian world in the nineties, mm-hmm. then yep. you're golden. That's and that those are my people, honestly. Like, right. Those are my folks. <laughs> love it, love it. Uh, well, before we dive into like your your own history, your faith, uh, some of the exciting things that have happened recently for you. Uh, before we get into all of that, who is Flamey Grant to Flamey Grant? Mm. Oh, I love this question. Flamey Grant to Flamey Grant. You know, I feel like I'm still getting to know who she is. I've only been doing drag for three and a half years. I guess over three okay. and a half years now. And when I started this thing, it was purely for my own entertainment. I had no intentions of making this a career or honestly even releasing a record under Flamey Grant's name or anything like that. I just, it was, it was, I was curious and pandemic happened. And I had all kinds of free time uh, that I had never had in my life before. And so I spent it, you know, in between episodes of Tiger King, because we all watched yeah, I mean, Tiger all King. There. And uh, making I was sourdough watching, bread. Yeah, and the sourdough bread. Absolutely. Uh, I was spending my my free time watching, like, YouTube makeup tutorials and just binging Drag Race. And uh, I've loved drag for a long time and and just was finally like, oh, you know, let's let's paint my face in my bedroom, which I quickly felt like turned into inner child work for me 
it was kind of reconnecting with the kid who like was just naturally inclined to uh you know play with my mom's clothes and her makeup and all that kind of stuff until it right. got you know shamed out of me because hello evangelicalism so that's all it was for me initially and it wasn't until like one i had one tiktok video that kind of like took off and went a little viral and and seeing the feedback from people when that happened like really shifted something for me um mm-hmm. i've been a songwriter and a musician my whole life but this kind of the way that flamey somehow can like do something that matthew can't like connect with people on a level that I've never done. I've never been able to do that before. It just really opened my eyes to the the power of drag and the possibility for it. And so I feel like in the past year I've really settled into like a little bit more of who Flamey is, but I still I'm still like finding mm-hmm. every day new ways that she uh surprises me and surprises the people that I perform for and with and just create community with. But she's, I mean, I, I, my tagline is I'm a Shane slang, hip swing, singing, songwriting, drag queen, right? So that's where I've kind of honed it down to those things. Um, like the, the shame slang piece is massive for me. That's, I would say that is the reason I do drag more than anything else. Uh, it's mm-hmm. because for me, it has been such a liberating experience and just helped me kind of sever the those last ties that I had uh, uh, to, to shame, to, to the oppressive shame that I was raised in, to believe that I had to fit in very specific boxes, believe, believe I had to perform and behave and act in certain ways. And I've just, I don't think there's ever, ever a, a useful um, purpose for shame. Mm-hmm. And so anytime I see it now and experience it, I just feel like I'm really, I'm really, I have a, a fine-tuned like shame meter and the second I start to sense it I'm like eh, no and that's just all thanks to Flamey and and the gifts that she's given me so I love that love that well I want to talk about kind of your personal drag story in a little bit but before that I'm sure there's a lot of other story uh to who you are and uh, certainly obviously with a name like Flamey Grant you grew up in the evangelical world especially in the 90s and so I want to hear a little bit more about your faith journey and how things have changed over all these years yes so uh, let's see where to where to start. Uh, I did grow up in the Appalachian Mountains of Western North Carolina. Uh, I, my tradition is called Plymouth Brethren, the, my, my religious tradition oh, yeah. that I grew up in. You're familiar? Yeah, I mean, I remember reading all the Brian McLaren books, and he talked about how he grew up in that tradition as well. Wait, really? How do yeah. I not know this about Brian McLaren? I'm fairly certain that's what it is. I, oh I know some sort of God. brethren. Well, yeah. So bre- brethren is like its own thing we're like an even weirder <laughs> I could, like pl- maybe Plymouth maybe brethren i'm wrong i i'm yeah. fairly certain i've i've heard him talk about like some sort of brethren growing up in that yeah. in that tradition and it very well could be plymouth brethren then i don't know could be it could be the thing is growing up in it i didn't know i didn't i never called it plymouth brethren until i left it um because we didn't call it that growing up in it we just called ourselves the assemblies um mm. which again not in no way related to assemblies of god or anything like that but just it was very intentional because the whole yeah he was he, he uh, on his website he says he was brought up in a false a small fundamentalist group called the Plymouth Brethren. I my you and Brian McLaren and I need hip. to go I need to go probably read some books now we probably are oh my god no wonder okay or he's probably your uncle or something <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow that's wild so it, it it was very um 
the whole ethos was we don't take the name of anything other than Jesus. So like we wouldn't call ourselves that we didn't have a denomination name because we felt that would have been idolatry. Like you just meet in the name of Jesus. And so we looked down on Baptists and Lutherans. We're like, Luther, like you meet in the name of Luther. Ugh. Um, so it was very like, like super self-righteous in that way. And so growing up, uh, our whole, our whole service is basically, um, if you have a penis, you get to talk. Like that's how it works. So there's no no paid staff or anything like that. We don't have a pastor. It's just we all show up in a room around grape juice and and uh, bread, and for an hour, give or take, the men take turns standing up and calling out a hymn to sing or uh, say have saying a prayer, reading a few. So it's almost like an unprogrammed Quaker service ex- yes. or meeting, except only men. Except to, only men. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. It is it is exactly like that. And the other thing about it, like I've already talked about the shame, but the shame piece really started for me there. And more often than not, what that service kind of devolves into is just this like weeping, gnashing of teeth kind of mode where like we had one gentleman in particular who every single Sunday of my life growing up started talking and within 30 seconds was just like a blubbering mess and no one could understand him. And it was just like, he just carried this, like, I'm such a wretched sinner shame with him at all times. And like, that was his release, his weekly release to like cry it out and thank God for saving such a horrible person as him and that kind of thing. And so it like, it just felt heavy. Every mm-hmm. Sunday, there was, it was never, a, like, church was not a celebration, even though we were kind of gathering around the communion table, we, you know, Lord's Supper, we called it Lord's Supper, and um, like celebrating the the sacrifice and like all the whole substitutionary atonement, all of it. It was never celebratory. It was always heavy and dark and oppressive. And then we would break and have like donuts. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's, I mean, what I grew up in. And that's what I was like being trained for as a person who, you know, was being trained to be male uh raised male um i the expectation there for me in particular i i was the oldest uh of my of all my grandpa's grandchildren um and he was kind of the we we didn't have a pastor but if we did it would have been my papa like Mm. he was kind of the pillar of our community the most motivated like member of of this particular congregation and led the music and did a lot of the preaching that kind of thing so I just felt like I just felt very obligated that like that this is my path. I'm going to like follow Papa's footsteps. I'm going to be, you know, the next leader of this little tiny congregation in the in the mountains of Western North Carolina. And and I just it never felt right to me. I, I actually never when you, when you turn 12, like that's when you're supposed to get baptized. And I did. And then after that, Papa immediately started talking to me about, OK, Matthew, you're a man now, so it's time for you to speak up on Sunday mornings. Like, when are you going to do it? And I never did, like, not mm. one time. Um, and that's not because I'm not a very vocal person or, like, don't have leadership qualities or anything like that. I feel like I have all of that. It's just in that space, something about it didn't work for me. And, I, and so I never, I've never, I've still never to this day actually said a word during like that service i did special wow. music as as a musician and i would i would perform and do things like that but i never never did which is really weird as i think about it yeah it is interesting so obviously you grew up in this like super patriarchal kind of 
Christian world. And it even like, I would really argue it is even a little bit more fundamentalist than just like kind of more mainstream evangelicals. And so how did you get into a world where you knew about like Christian music, certainly someone like Amy Grant and all of that, because it sounds like this kind of, this fundamentalist Christian world would even like think that Christian music like Amy Grant is like, especially Amy Grant, especially during that time would have been like very almost heretical even. Yeah. You know, sometimes I wonder if it was the actual fact that we were so disconnected from culture that allowed me to listen to probably more than I would have been allowed to listen to if like people mm. had known what was really going on. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how aware like my, my parents were about Amy Grant. I, like, I'm, I think I'm pretty sure they knew like the divorce happened and that kind of stuff uh, just because that was such a like moment in, in Christianity um, and people, everybody was drawing lines around that. So I don't know if it was the fact that we were so isolated from culture or if there was actually maybe a little bit of uh, like a piece of, of the way we did things that allowed for like there was grace, you know, maybe there was actually mm. some, some actual grace happening in, in our midst. And I do, I do think that a lot of the people I grew up with really had the, the best intentions and really wanted to be loving people, especially a lot of the, the women. There were, we just had so many old women in our church. <laughs> and, you know, I was, I was, I got my cheek, cheek pinched all the time. Like I was kind of the, the golden kid, like their favorite. So I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't really figure out why I was allowed to listen to Amy Grant. There was one Sunday uh, w where I got her House of Love record for Christmas uh, on cassette. And we were on our way to church that week or that day. And I was like, put in my new Amy Grant. And Lucky One is the first song. And like, you know, eight, eight bars in, my mom is like, this isn't about Jesus. And like took it out and like handed it back to me. She's like, we're on our way to church. We have to be listening to Christian music right now. So, you know, like, the stigma was all still there, but yeah, I just, I, I loved her. <laughs> oh, she, she's so great. And it reminds me of a story where, so I was way more into like the hardcore alternative kind of Christian music <laughs> stuff. And yep. I still remember listening to Under Oath for the first time. And I, I don't know if you know who Under Oath is, but like they scream and everything. Right. Yep. And I remember listening uh, because I heard them on this, like t this Christian TV channel or whatever. That was kind of like the Christian version of MTV and looked them up on the computer started listening to them on the computer and my mom like overheard me listening to this screaming music and she was very very concerned right away that it wasn't like christian music and so i was like no 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 no, it is christian and she'd like never heard of christian music that like screamed like this before so she was so out of the loop and i was like look at the lyrics and like here they are on this like jesus freak hideout page and all of this stuff so anyway uh, uh oh i had to really gosh, the jesus that, freak no, really hideout is. wow is that a name you haven't heard in a while or have yeah, ever heard? Have, have not heard in a while? No, definitely have heard. But yeah. Had, oh, yeah. That was that. like that was my main page, uh, my, my home page um, back in the day when I was a kid. I was I just perusing all the profiles on all, all the different artists when mm. uh, when I was a kid. So anyway, so at w some point, obviously, your faith completely shifted going going from like this fundamentalist uh, group in North Carolina to where you're at now in your faith. Can you talk a little bit about what that story is? I'm, I would imagine you coming out and all of that probably plays a big part into it. <laughs> it definitely did. Um, so I went to college uh, for a couple years at uh, a small Presbyterian school in Bristol, Tennessee, King College. 
And that was kind of the, my, the first time I was exposed to, not entirely, actually. I was at a Christian school as well in Asheville. My mom was on, a teacher there, um, and some my K-12 through education was a Christian school, but uh, still very conservative, fundamentalist mm-hmm. Christian school That's, that did have, like, multiple, like, kids who were in multiple de- denominations attending the same school. So, like, my best friend was Presbyterian in high school, and um, so I had had some, like, exposure to at least like the christian world is like a little more broad than just us although i remember specifically one time in sunday school my papa saying baptists weren't real christians so you know there was just that but especially in college was where i really like i mean so many of us experience that for the first time in college i think where you're like oh like there are people who there there are christians who just believe like wildly different things than I do. I like my my best one of my best friends from college still to this day. I remember we almost weren't friends because the first time I met her she was like, "Yeah, evolution, like so cool how that happened, right?" And I was like, "Excuse me?" Yeah, just it started there and it just continued. I mean, I stayed in conservative Christianity for a long time. I moved to Reno where I got my first job uh in a church. Um, uh, as a worship leader on a, on a church staff, and it was a mega church, kind of non-denominational, generic, whatever, but still very conservative. And then from there, I, I was part of a church plant team that moved down here to San Diego, which is where I I live until literally this Thursday. Uh, I'm moving <laughs> to North Carolina, but um, uh, I, I planted a church down here in San Diego that was more part of like that whole emerging church. Yeah, uh, the world that I was in for quite some time too. Yeah, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit saying that. But um, <laughs> so, you know, like just this very gradual, like my eyes kind of opening up to the fact that maybe we didn't have it all figured out in the Plymouth Brethren Assembly back in Appalachia. Maybe there were, are a lot of perspectives. Me being queer also played a huge role in all of that from really from the earliest times. I've, I've always kind of had that... um. I guess a rebellious streak, but more just like an inquisitive, curious, like streak that, that is not, I, I, I don't like just accepting at face value what is handed to me. You know, I want to, I want to understand why we believe certain things or where beliefs come from and those sorts of things. So I've always asked harder questions that would routinely get brushed aside or be like, Oh, God works in mysterious ways. You know, Mm -hmm. those kinds of responses. So I've just always kind of had a little bit of that critical like eye towards my faith and especially being queer. I mean, that was for me, it was about 2007 was my big like turning point where I was like, someone's lying. (laughs) Like I enrolled myself in conversion therapy. I did that for five years. You know, I was just very committed for a long time to being single and celibate, even though I was like, I'm like, well, I'm gay and I can't change that, but I guess I'll be single and celibate because that's the thorn in my side and I just have to Mm -hmm. do that, right? A lot of very sincere practice on my end to try and make things work, to try and belong and fit in in the world that I I occupied. And then when I finally reckoned with my sexuality, with my identity, and with what the Bible really says about all of that stuff, that was when I kind of pivoted and was like, if I'm going to do Christianity anymore, it has to look 
dramatically different mm. for me. <laughs> and I didn't for a while, you know, I, I full, I went full apostate for a minute. I had a podcast called heathen that I did for five seasons. Um, and where we just talked about, it was before like deconstruction was a buzzword. So I didn't right. know, I didn't know that there was a whole community of people doing that. I was just like, I, I'm just a heathen. I'm just, I'm an apostate. So I want to talk about that with other people. But yeah, kind of kind of swung back around in more recent years to occupy the space I'm in now, which is like Christian adjacent. Um, I mean, I what guess would you I'm say a... has brought you to that? Like, what what is it about Christianity that is bringing you back to like, at least I want to be Christian adjacent? Yeah. And also I mean, top the music charts, the Christian music charts. <laughs> Part of it's cultural, like purely just cultural. Like, it's what I know. It's the language I speak. Some of that, you know the old old time hymns the old time religion like it gets in your bones and it, it doesn't actually ever leave so but i would say the biggest reason i mean at the end of the day i'm a universalist now like that's just like it's just everybody's in baby it all belongs like that's where mm -hmm. i land but um the reason i kind of stick around in the in christian space is pretty much exclusively because i was a queer kid who grew up in that space and had no idea that there was a future for me that could be where I could thrive, where I could feel joy, where I could have a partner, where I, you know, like none of that was an option that I, I was, I was prevented from seeing that um, at every turn. And so I've just been inspired by a lot of other queer people who are taking up space in the church and mm. making sure that we're visible, making sure that we're seen so that the, that next generation has something to has has a way to imagine a future for themselves that doesn't mm. involve like despair and lying dead in a gutter with a needle in their arm because that's honestly what i thought would happen to me if i ever left right. the church right so and i think christianity has so much more to offer than like th th that scenario happening right there, yeah. there's so much more to christianity and uh, i'm certainly pretty convinced at this point that jesus does not want that scenario to happen either that there's so many different kind of ways uh that jesus would love to see uh the way of his, his, the way that he thought of the world to happen than uh a, mm. a kid in, in the gutter who just can't make it anymore so yeah. I, I think there's I, I think there's so much more that christianity has to offer and i certainly believe that you know jesus has so much more to offer the world than that mm. i love that i love that i mean i i, I think i would probably agree. I think I'm maybe just a little more hesitant because I've <laughs> just been burned by so many people totally. who, who, yeah, and who even say that me, as a queer person, me saying that, like, is not a valid, like, it doesn't mean anything coming from a queer person, right? Like, because I'm just mm. immediately disqualified because of my queerness. Right. But I love, I love that there's a place for hope still. Um, oh, in, yeah, in absolutely. Christianity and, and what the faith can offer people. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to personally invite you to Theology Beer Camp this October 19th through the 21st, 2023 in Springfield, Missouri. Theology Beer Camp is a time for you to meet some of your favorite theology podcasters, sip on your favorite beverages, and nerd out. You'll meet people like Pete Enns, Dr. Roberto Che Espinoza, Trip Fuller, and even me. And if you register with the link in the episode description and use the promo code MASONGODPOD, all caps, no spaces, you can receive $25 off your ticket. Theology Beer Camp. Come thirsty, get nerdy. I hope to see you there. You talked a little bit about your 
kind of personal drag story of around the pandemic start of the pandemic is kind of when you started doing like makeup tutorial stuff or at least like watching makeup tutorials and then eventually gets you to this point of starting to do drag can you talk a little bit about kind of from wherever that point you left off earlier uh to where you're at now when it comes to drag like talk about that part of the story yeah sure so it really, it really was pandemic. I had gone out in drag a couple times prior to pandemic for Halloween, like 2019 was my first time ever in drag uh, because it's an easy, safe place to do, to do drag, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then I went to a couple house parties in drag, but it just, like I said, it, I didn't have time for it. I was, I was, it's a very busy person. Um, well, and I, I do want to talk about this later, but it does seem as if drag has got to be one of the most time-consuming things because. I already like know how much time it takes just to see somebody do simple makeup, but there's a lot of makeup that goes on in Drake and it has got to take hours upon hours. And if you're doing this like very frequently, it's got to be like a significant time. Uh, just a, it just takes up a lot of time for people. It takes up so much. Drag is exhausting. It is so exhausting. And that is like the first thing I tell anybody now who's like, oh, I'm, I'm interested. I want to get in drag. I'm like, okay, well, get ready because you've got to either spend a shit ton of money buying costumes from people who know what they're doing or learn to make them yourself. You've got to stone, you know, rhinestone everything you own. You've got to learn to do your makeup really well. You've got to learn to style a wig. Uh, what's your act going to be? Like, who's your drag persona? Are you just going to be, you're going to purely lip sync? And if so, like, who, what's your style? Are you going to dance? Do you, can you dance? Do you need to learn how to dance? If you can sing, like, are you going to sing? Like, just, are you a comedy queen? There's so much that goes into it, which is initially what, kind of drew me to it i'm that i'm that person who like gets super excited about like 18 things and then does them you know halfway does each does half of them halfway mm -hmm. um because there's just you know there's no time in the world to do everything that you want to do so yeah i think making drag my full-time thing like i've been working towards this for a while it really just two weeks ago i finally quit my day job and now i am officially for the first time a full-time wow, drag, drag artist thank you but yeah i've been working to get here for a while and it's it is very time consuming and if it hadn't been for the pandemic not that i uh you know no snaps for miss rona but um if it hadn't been for that opportunity that it provided me to sit alone and shelter in place in my house um for a year and a half like i don't know that i ever would have made it i never would have gotten into it to the degree i have so like I said, it started as inner child work for me. Like it was just a, it was, let's just go have fun, make up playtime in my bedroom to, uh, during the pandemic, I shared a house with two other art, uh, and, and, and my, my husband and I shared a house with another couple who were both musicians. So we started doing a live stream like every artist did during pandemic. Um, every Thursday night, we'd be singing cover songs to like 30 people on Facebook. And I started showing up to those in drag. And that's really, that was my first time ever performing, quote unquote, in drag um, was just for mostly friends and, and a few people we picked up along the way uh, every week. And I did I already mention the TikTok thing going viral? Well, you mentioned and how that, that there was one TikTok in particular that kind yeah. of blew up a little bit. Yeah. So that and then that was when I that was still pretty early on. Maybe I, I can't remember exactly when that happened, but halfway through the sheltering in place portion of pandemic um, that happened. And I started to think, oh, like there is something here there, there, mm -hmm. there's there's a piece to this art form that can. You know, yeah, connect connect with people in ways I've never been able to. So mm -hmm. uh, I think that's actually it probably happened shortly before Wild Goose, actually, because we. Oh. Um, yeah, we got 
booked for Wild Goose to do basically what we were doing on our live stream, was which was to bring we called it Heathen Happy Hour because we we basically pivoted the podcast and turned it into that live stream. So we brought Heathen Happy Hour to Wild Goose, and then we ended up getting bumped to the main stage because somebody else canceled. We weren't supposed to be on the main stage at Wild Goose because uh, we were nobody. Like we were a live stream playing for thirty people, but they needed to fill a spot, and my band mate knew somebody and whatever. So we ended up on the main stage there. And I don't know. It just, things started rolling after that. It was like, mm. I think people seeing drag in a, in a Christian context, in a spiritual context, which at the time it was all new for me too. Like I, I got asked to give the sermon in drag uh, at our virtually at, at our church during pandemic. And I was like, I have no idea what that looks like. I, I like, I can't even, I've never seen that. I can't imagine it. So that TikTok video that went viral was actually my attempt at, it was a practice. I was like, how do I give a sermon if I'm a drag queen? And it, and so it took off. So it's just been this slow, like my kind of, my eyes have, have slowly been opened wider and wider to the possibility for this art form and what it can do. And, and how in, in so many ways, actually, I've kind of been laying the groundwork without knowing it for years, like mm. years and years, like just being a songwriter since I was like nine years old when I wrote my first song, being a worship leader, like learning how to hold space for people and create communal moments, that kind of thing. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, just like loving comedy, loving stand up, loving, loving all the other elements that I bring to my drag, like. I was like, oh, this is the art form for me, finally. Like, mm. there's a reason, like, just me being a singer-songwriter all those years never really went anywhere. It's because I needed this voice. I needed this perspective, um, Flamey's voice to be able to write from and sing from and speak to people from. So I still, I like, even with what's happened in the past month, I still feel like I'm realizing the extent to which drag communicates to folks i like mm. i didn't i never expected that there would be i never expected that i would get to have a freaking like one of the worship songs i wrote for my old church would be sung in other churches around the country now like that's still like that's a mind-blowing thing to me mm -hmm. so I don't all know. it took was I, you to just be a drag queen i guess yeah and 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 you know a certain a conservative worship leader to take notice but well, yes. that, that that doesn't <laughs> <laughs> that helps a little bit uh, without like getting too much into the weeds of, of all of this. I'm really just curious about the history of drag. And certainly I wouldn't imagine that you're like probably some like scholar of drag history or anything, but I would imagine you've like done a little bit of research into like understanding, like how we have gotten to the point where we have when it comes to drag performances. So can you talk just really briefly about the history of drag of drag? Yeah. I mean, uh, again, I will, echo what you said. I'm certainly not a scholar and I don't have all the 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 backstory and the details, but I I have done I've looked into it as a, as a drag queen. I'm like, yeah, where did where did this come from? And I mean, we obviously had Shakespeare like drag was happening on Shakespearean stages like back in his day, but closer to what we have now, I think really well well um there's a a queen by the name of William Dorsey Swan who's a, was a black man. Uh, who was his credited as being like the first kind of modern drag queen. <sighs> I wish I knew the dates. I could probably pull them up real quickly. But I mean, I think well over 100 years ago wow. um, in, in America. Yeah. Um, and, and like 
performing in like secret places, right? Like in people's homes, that kind of thing, like queer people coming together to enjoy drag. And I think the reason so much of it, and people kind of still have this notion that like drag is a seedy thing that happens in dark rooms, right? Is because it did have to happen in secret places. And in, and it, like queer people have always had to kind of find each other surreptitiously because we didn't have grinders and we didn't have, um, well, gay bars. We didn't have it. We didn't, you know, we weren't allowed. It was not allowed. Mm-hmm. So we had to find each other secretly and then we had to gather and congregate secretly. And so, yeah, drag is very much a queer art form. It's like a product of queer culture. It is, I I just call it at at, at the kind of the bottom line thing that ties all drag together is that it's gender fuckery of some sort. Like we are, it's, it's a way to challenge uh, and address and acknowledge that the binary male, female, the gender binary that we have socially constructed in our world today. And very much so in America in, in particular, doesn't work. It doesn't work for everybody. So drag's kind of a big F you to, to that binary and it's also just like a a play space and kind of like similar to how i i came to find it you know where it was this like like let me reparent the little kid who got in trouble for like putting on my mom's lipstick it's it's a it's a, a space where we let our imaginations run free where we do that work with our inner child where we just get happy and celebratory and like queer Mm -hmm. joy comes from those spaces. So, I mean, obviously the way drag has become this mainstream phenomenon now is thanks to RuPaul and all of the groundwork she laid and starting her show, RuPaul's Drag Race. Like that's the thing that has put drag, put the spotlight on drag and put the target on drag as well, Mm -hmm. I think. But so we would be nowhere (laughs) without uh, like drag would still probably not be a lucrative career option if it had not been for her and, and the work she's done. You mentioned a bit ago that like drag at the end of the day is gender fuckery. And I really like the way you described that. And I think what's um, interesting about drag is even like after like I would have said I was like LGBTQ affirming and all of that, I still didn't really quite understand drag. Like it didn't really make much sense sure. to me. And I thought for a lot like i think a lot of it was and i i would imagine a lot of other people have thought about this too regardless of like where they stand on lgbtq um rights and everything is that a lot of people might assume that like drag is for people who are experiencing some sort of gender dysphoria or something Mm. like that and what i've realized is that may or may not be the case i don't know exactly but what certainly seems to be the case is that this is just about like fucking up gender norms and gender roles and all of that. Um, yes. So it really is less about someone experiencing gender dysphoria and it's more about just simply fucking with gender. Yes. Yeah, totally. And, and like you said, it, it absolutely like there are so many trans uh, artists who do drag, like that's, that can be part of like the trans experience. It can be, and, and, trans can be part of the drag experience too. Like there are people who like start doing drag and then realize, Oh, I'm like, my, my, my gender is different than what's on my birth certificate. And, but then at the same time, yes, it's like, for me, I mean, I definitely drag definitely kind of, I identify as non-binary now. And I do that pretty much as a result of having done drag and, and felt, felt what it's like to live in the world without the restrictions that, um, 
feel implicit to owning a certain set of genitalia, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and and I and it's it's the fuckery part of it that has enabled me to be like, like fuckery with with performance that has now enabled me to be like. I, I like I'm gonna I'm gonna stop performing in general. Like I'm just I'm going like I'm not gonna walk around the world and try to speak, look, behave in, in the ways that people expect me to based on what they see when they look at me. Like, and it's such a freeing, phenomenal experience for me because, my God, I just, like the number of times I just desperately like desperately would try to fit in, especially in Christian culture, especially in evangelical mm-hmm. culture with like the men, right? Like to go to the men's groups and like promise keepers and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like let's go paintballing. We're going to, we have the, a men's church paintball event, you know, those kinds of things that I hated. I hated every minute of paintball with other men. And yet I did it over and over again because I don't, I had to, like, I felt like I had to, that that was the expectation. And so that's the gift I feel like of drag is that it can help people dismantle these made up norms that we have uh, about how, how to behave and who to be in the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, some of the worst, some of the people who are the most impacted and oppressed by patriarchy, I think are cis straight men, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I think that, I think that I, I and I've seen it and, and I know so many friends who've like been through that experience who, where they are like, Oh my God, like watching you do what you do in drag, like just makes me realize that I'm like, I don't like patriarchy either. <laughs> What's mm-hmm. the line in the bar, the Barbie movie. Once I realized patriarchy wasn't about horses, I kind of lost interest. <laughs> like, like that's, I think that's the gift of, of drag is it can just be like, why are you doing that, babe? Like, think about mm-hmm. it for a second. Why are you why are you behaving the way you behave? Is it because you got bros to impress? Mm-hmm. And do you really want to be spending your energy doing that? Is that really the best thing for you? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it is. Like, I'm not saying that like some of some of the gender stuff isn't a norm for a reason. You know, like there may be inclinations <laughs> for for people based on sex, but the gender part of it is what we can definitely fuck up. And yeah, I love drag for that reason. This episode of A People's Theology is brought to you by United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities. Are you considering exploring your faith more deeply? Or are you called to ministry, but haven't found a seminary that is quite right for you? When you come to United, you join a community that is intentionally open, socially aware, and theologically adventurous. United's passion is equipping leaders to make real, lasting change in the world through their many different degree programs. Whether your vocation is in faith leadership, nonprofit leadership, academia, the arts, activism, or social entrepreneurship. And the best news is you don't have to uproot your life to attend seminary. United offers maximum flexibility to fit your schedule. Attend on campus or online, part-time or full-time. Their leading distance learning technology allows students to be active in the classroom and engaged with the United community. Want to learn more? Visit unitedseminary.edu forward slash a people's theology or click the link in the episode description and receive a $1,000 scholarship when you apply and are admitted. United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities, training leaders to dismantle systems of oppression, care for the spiritual needs of a multi-faith world, and push the boundaries of theology. So something recently 
very very interesting happen to you and uh it's one of the cooler kind of christian stories that i think that's happened this year and so can you talk a little bit about uh going number one in the christian music charts i think this is just a fascinating story yes it's so wild uh so i a year ago almost a year ago now released my my first record as flamey grant it's called bible belt baby and i wrestled with where to place this record for a while. You know who Semler is. I'm sure a lot of your audience knows who Semler is. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't, Semler's kind of the first out queer artist to, to, to do that, to go number one on the iTunes Christian charts. We, we became TikTok buds over during pandemic, and Semler actually guested on my record um, on, on an Amy Grant cover, nonetheless. So I've just been super inspired watching Semler do what they do. And reach the audience that they've reached as a Christian artist, like releasing their music in that Christian genre. I wasn't convinced it was for me initially. I, I was intrigued and I was like, and especially when I finished the record and like looked at it as a whole, I was like, this feels like the Christian music I was listening to in the nineties that was very confessional, very about my spiritual journey, very singer songwritery. It's not like the worship crap that i i'm sorry but i hate worship music so much like we mm -hmm. sing it in church every sunday why do we have to like also have radio stations that play it all week i like storytelling like that's that's what i'm here for and i want i that's that those are the artists that i'm attracted to so when i looked at my record i was like this feels like that to me it feels like a <laughs> like if bebo norman were queer like that's that's what like that that's what this is i mean not to whatever i'm not trying to say my qualities is good or whatever but like that's the vein i was in and so it was it, it that coupled with what i've already talked about and wanting to take up space in christianity so that queer the next generation of queer kids have somebody to see those are the two things really that made me decide to release the record as a christian record so i did and you know there was like a little bit of a stir not much I, you know, I was a very independent artist. Like I did not have any kind of marketing machine behind me or anything like that. So I, I was very pleased with how the record did. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it, it, it certainly was my most listened to album I'd ever released in my life. And I was really happy with it. And I've been able to play uh, sh shows and get booked on it and that kind of thing. So I've, I've been, I've been very, very pleased. <sighs> 10 months after the record was released, I played a show with Derek Webb uh, in Nashville. Derek is a former lead singer of the band Cabin's Call, which is another massive selling band, Christian band from like the late 90s, early 2000s. And Derek and, and I- And one become... of like, you, you mentioned you really loved that kind of more confessional 90s Christian oh, yeah. music. And like, to me, Cabin's Call feels like the, <sighs> like epitome of that confessional singer songwriting uh, kind of Christian music. Yes. Heroes to me, Aaron Tate and Derek, like just the songwriters I wanted to be. So very, very cool that I have gotten to become friends with Derek over the years. Uh, he actually did my podcast um, back in, I think, 2018. And that was where we kind of first met face to face and uh, just hit it off and became friends after that. So uh, Derek was on my record on, on the song Good Day. And, and then Derek just released a record this year as well. Uh, called the Jesus Hypothesis, and he so good, in, so good, so good. He invited me to be a featured artist on a song on that that record. So we made a music video where I put Derek in drag. I'm probably most of your audience is aware of this stuff. 
so all, all that to say, like, there's this relationship with Derek. He brought me out to Nashville to open for him at his album release show. And a picture got taken of me and Jennifer Knapp and Tiffany Arbuckle of Plum and Derek. And so, like, you know, I, when I posted it, I was like, one of these is not a 90s Christian rock star like the others. <laughs> but that photo made its way to uh, Sean Foyt, who, if you don't know, I'm very jealous of you. But if you do know, <laughs> he's a... Um, a uh, conservative worship leader who's like big moment in the spotlight happened during pandemic when he was holding these massive like worship services at the height of pandemic with a bunch of unmasked people out in public. And we all got really mad about it. Right. So, and that's really literally all I knew about Sean before this happened, but he retweeted the photo and said, what did he say? This is, this is the end goal of the deconstruction movement. Uh, Christian artists, meaning Derek collaborating with a drag queen, which I thought was kind of funny because I was in, in this scenario, I'm actually the Christian artist and Derek is no longer, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so I'm, you know, part of being a drag queen in, in 2023 is you just have trolls on your page all the time and I'm just used mm -hmm. to it. And I kind of get a kick out of responding to them sometimes. So I just was like, end goal, baby. No, no, no. We're just getting started. To which Sean replied, well, good thing for us. No one, hardly anyone listens to you or cares what you do. And that is when I was like, oh, this is an opportunity. Yes. <laughs> so, um, and it, I, that's the other thing that I think every drag performer has in common, like the gender fuckery component and then the ability to like recognize uh, an opportunity to like work something <laughs> for our benefit, right? Like, because drag is, it, it's a subversive thing and it's a, a grassroots thing. And just like, we all have that mentality. So I was like, okay, well, let me go to my followers on TikTok and say, this guy is saying that no one cares about uh, a drag queen who's occupying space in Christianity or releasing worship music or whatever. So I've got this song, Good Day. I released it 10 months ago. Do you think there's a chance we could get this song to chart on iTunes Christian Charts? And uh, for the first time in history, have a, a drag uh, artist on the Christian charts. And because I had seen Semler do it, and because, you know, I had that, thank thankfully, that trail had been blazed. Again, that's kind of like a, I never would have thought to do this if it hadn't been for Semler. I mm -hmm. never would have, like, had that vision for a, a future that could look like that. So props to Semler. Thank you for doing that work for all of us. And I don't know, I posted the video, I woke up the next morning, and my song was already number six. And then by the end of the day, it had hit, it had hit number one, and the album also hit number one and stayed there for nine days, which was wild to be like, the literal face of Christian music when you open iTunes was my like painted uh, yeah, your, face. Your drag outfit, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I mean, just like such a cool story. And then after all that happened, your, your boy, uh, Sean decided you know what i don't like being proved wrong and uh block which he w might not be able to keep doing that very much longer you might be able to troll him even more if, i know uh, Elon right? gets his way. yeah he did he's blocked a lot of people uh over this from what i understand um <laughs> a lot of people who follow me now are like oh yeah i just got blocked too because i mentioned you to him so I think I think we got under his skin a little bit. I, I think he's got a little bit of a thorn in his side. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. Well, I think it's 
one of the coolest uh, moments that has happened over the last couple of years in Christian music. And uh, certainly you and Semler being probably some of the top two. I mean, it's just what a really cool moment. And uh, yeah, here we are. I, and then you got all the like media attention from it. Uh, I, like, I, in fact, I've got like the NBC or the, sorry, the Today uh, Today Show article about it. I know like Billboard did a thing. I think USA T- Today did a thing. And so anyway, it was just super cool to see a lot of people like, oh, wait, this is a really cool moment in uh, in Christian hi- history. And uh, we can all owe it to uh, Sean Foyk. Thanks, Sean. Yes, yes we can. <laughs> Yeah, I think it is. It's and actually, one of the reporters uh, who interviewed me like said this explicitly. He's like, "This is kind of a microcosm of of the country and like what's going on right now in this national dialogue where evangelical, really conservative people are coming for drag and are scapegoating drag and making drag like the thing that we're going to get really mad about right now. And yet, here is a drag queen who is a product of that world and who has decided to not vacate it." Um, and instead to like make something within, within that, the context of that world, like, you know, it's, I don't know. It's just like, it's, I think that's why the story took off and why it's interesting to people is because we Mm -hmm. already had this kind of national discussion happening. Mm -hmm. Well, with all of the things that has have happened over the last few years with you doing drag and again, like being a person of faith, somebody who, whose faith has clearly changed throughout your life where would you say like you see drag shaping and forming your faith now like how how have you seen drag shape your theology shape your faith uh shape the way you think about god whatever uh how has drag actually been a direct influence uh, of shaping that Mm. well i think one thing to just point out that's super cool is that like i said when i first was asked to give that sermon in drag i had no context for that I like I was like spirituality and drag like those weren't things that I thought went together mm-hmm. um but what's happened for me in the aftermath of that is being introduced to a whole host of drag artists who do exactly that who like bring a spiritual element to their drag and actually find their drag to be a spiritual practice right which I think is so cool and and kind of what I was doing without realizing it you know the talking about the inner child work piece so I, gosh, the things drag has taught me. I, I, I mean, starting first and foremost with that, like that ability to reparent ourselves, to love ourselves, um, uh, to love past versions of ourselves, and and um, the whole like just transcending and including, like like taking mm-hmm. your experience that might have been really hard and uh, full of trauma, um, and not rewriting it you know, because obviously we've been through what we've been through, but not, but no longer, maybe, maybe no longer regretting large parts of it. I think that's been a a, a thing for me is um, letting go of regret because it doesn't serve. It doesn't, it doesn't serve me in any way. And instead being able to just kind of like take your story and your experience as a whole and be like, yeah, like there were really shitty times during that young Matthew, (laughs) but you weren't any less loved. You weren't any less worthy even though that's what you're being implicitly, sometimes explicitly taught and told. And now we can embrace like all those pieces of you in this moment where we are now as an adult. And so that's been a huge part of what drag has done for me spiritually. Just like the, I mean, drag's, drag's an art form at the end of the day. So in the same way that any piece of art can take you to a transcendent 
place, you know, beautiful sculpture or beautiful painting, beautiful music, beautiful drag can do that too. I think comedic drag can do that in really fun, subversive ways mm -hmm. where like it gets you laughing and then like kind of hits you with a, a, a hard truth or, or a powerful truth um, in the middle of a joke. Like, I just think there's so much opportunity to, 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 to just, if, if you can just appreciate drag as an art form, it can do anything that any other art form can do. Right. Mm -hmm. It's such a, especially with the, with the song good day and what's happened with good day. I wrote that before I wrote good day before I was a drag queen, like flamey didn't exist when I wrote that song. I actually wrote that for my, my last church, uh, which was a, a very, really progressive community. But putting that song, those lyrics in the voice of a drag queen, you know, being able to say, I'm not content to fade into the crowd and let you decide who's in or out. Like to say that as a drag queen, <laughs> like it just carries a different uh, weight, a different message. Like I'm not going to fade. I'm actually going to like be as bold. I'm going to be as visibly queer as possible. I'm going to be all the, all the things. And I'm going to plant my stiletto and stay in this, you know, hallowed ground i just think there's like power uh that that, that transcends like I, there's so many people in my dms and my comments right now are not queer right like mm -hmm. it's and, and that's not my audience like i don't really write for straight people sorry i love i love my straight allies but like that's not i'm not doing that work for that audience i do that work for queer folks and the people who uh, are going through what i went through but as it turns out, we're all human beings, right? And we all have like similar experiences of people silencing us or um, oppressing us for whatever reason. And so that mm -hmm. it, that art can connect with a broad, broad audience uh, of people, and um, and I love that. Like that's mm -hmm. magic to me. I would imagine being a person who grew up in the Brethren uh, tradition mm -hmm. that you know your Bible well. When you think back or read back to the Bible now, are there any moments or stories where you're like, that feels really similar to like being a person in drag or that's just similar to what drag queens experience or like that's just that's a drag story or something. But do you ever read back to the Bible and see some of those stories now? I mean, Esther was my favorite, favorite story growing up. Mm. Like, I think I already mentioned that, like that was the story I would read in church um because church was boring like just that whole yes esther's whole narrative i feel is just so very like being out of place in in the culture that you're in right like she 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 became queen of persia and like that was not on her bingo card <laughs> um as as a, a a poor jewish girl so and and she became a literal queen. So I guess that's the other <laughs> dra drag artist. We all want to be a queen too. But um, yeah, like there's, I think it, it, being able to like look at the Bible in, in general through a lens that's different, like from the standard American white male, like preaching that most of us got on it. Like I love hearing queer folks talk about Joseph and mm. how Joseph was probably a queer person talk about david and jonathan right like actually you 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 just had a really good tweet right tweet um where you pointed out uh 
averse. Yeah, I mean, I always like make J- David and Jonathan jokes. I don't know what exact one it was, yeah. but uh, I, I love I love making those jokes. Uh, mostly because I don't know if it's necessarily like that they were actually queer, but what I do love about it is the fact that it just absolutely pisses conservatives off. Because it's been straight washed, right? That whole story totally. has been straight washed. And um, I mean, there is a very... Whether or not they were queer, there are queer elements to their their relationship. Like it, they, mm-hmm. the way the Bible talks about them, like I can't I can't remember the verses. Yeah, and usually, they're... like when I make jokes about David and Jonathan, usually I'll get like the conservative trolls that are that are usually like you know uh, we we don't need like a queer reading of mm. whatever. Like we don't need to read queerness into this story about like male intimacy. And my my response always to that is I don't need homophobes trying to lecture me about male intimacy and mm. the need for male intimacy in the world. Uh, I don't think that's really necessarily the homophobes job to do that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, for me that like, especially with the song Esther Ruth and Rahab, on the record like that was where i just really needed to sit down and wrestle a little bit with how i was brought up how i was taught to read the bible the stories that were given to me in sunday school and from the pulpit every sunday and that kind of thing like i was like my heroes were the women of the bible like there's i'm sorry there's no better hero in the bible than jail like come Mm. on that that tent peg to the temple like while like putting the guy to sleep probably seducing him like that's probably what happened like that's that's such an epic story and um and those are the ones that stick stuck with me and resonated with me and you know realizing that you know, i was probably drawn to that to, to, to stories about women because that's just what like gay boys do like we love divas right <laughs> like mm-hmm. even without even without growing up in like queer culture where like everybody just like gravitates like, like you pick your diva as a gay kid I still was doing that just like instinctually. And that's why I think Amy Grant, I was drawn to Amy Grant and then drawn to the stories of women in the Bible. But I wrote that song in particular because I was like, my sister had such a dramatically different experience growing up in the exact same culture I did. Cause I was being raised to like lead the thing. And she was being raised to be quiet, be submissive, like just suppress every instinct she has, which is like, she is this like exuberant, like intelligent, thoughtful, vocal human who did not get to lean into any of those gifts um, Mm. growing up. And, and then I was like expected to, and, and, you know, couldn't. And so I just wanted, I wanted to like write not only a feminist anthem, but just like a song that, showed how I think that's the thing like like people sometimes tell me like oh like Esther Ruth and Rahab makes me feel so empowered and I'm like I like I'm not I can't give you that power that's not that's not what I'm doing with that song like I think it's just showing that the women have always had that power mm-hmm. and whether or not they've been permitted to do it to to like express that power visibly like or not, I think they women find a way, right? Like mm-hmm. the women women in my church are the ones who raised me. They're the ones who made the impression. And then same thing with the Bible. It's the women in the Bible who somehow managed to like worm their way out of uh, all the stories of the men and stick with me. So, you know, I even like think about the story of the incarnation, you know, of God becoming 
a person in in the person of Jesus. And I, you know, I think about that story as a very kind of queer or uh, even kind of drag reading of it of mm. like God putting on a different outfit uh, by becoming a human. And uh, and I, I think there's just something really powerful in that story. And so that was just one story. And I'm not like obviously a drag queen, so I have no idea what that experience is like. But I would imagine like maybe that's one that could be kind of a drag yeah. reading of it. But I was you curious if be. there were any others, too. You could be Mason. We could do that. We maybe could one day. Drag. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe one we'll day. See. We'll <laughs> um, see. Yeah. I, I think that um, it's important to recognize that the God of the scripture and the new, of the New Testament too, Jesus, like actually had moments of change, right? Like mm-hmm. Jesus had his mind changed by the Canaanite woman. Initially, he was like, no, I'm not here for you. And she changed his mind. Mm-hmm. You know, God in Isaiah says, I'm doing a new thing. Like just says it out loud. <laughs> and those aren't the verses that we, that get quoted back to me, unfortunately, on, on social media. Like I get the millstone verse all the time. So I love that we can like acknowledge that the deity that we are, are worshiping, gathering in the name of, building a whole religion around like changes and that's oh we're getting now into process theology yeah my (laughs) wheelhouse now well good then i'm going to turn that over to you because that's about (laughs) as as deep as i go there (laughs) but yeah we can change ourselves with drag god can change yeah i love it that's right absolutely you mentioned a little bit ago about some of the things that are going on in like kind of the conservative world around like putting a target on drag queens backs uh and I don't want to necessarily go into all of like what the rhetoric is and all of that, but there clearly because of it have been a lot of misconceptions and even outright lies that people believe about drag queens because of the targeting that they've been receiving. Can you talk about what some of those misconceptions and lies are and um, and the ones that need to be corrected? Yeah. Well, the thing I get called all the time and, and, and I mean, not just drag queens now, but queer people in general and straight allies now get called groomer all the time, right? And it's in the context of the sexual grooming. That's the what's being projected onto us is that we are trying to turn kids either gay or I don't know, turn them into drag queens. I I don't or or get them to want to question their gender identity. Like there's this idea that that that's the the gay agenda, and I think that so much of that is projection. That's a mirror because. Mm-hmm. If you want to, if we want to get into indoctrination, I have a lot to say about that. If we want to talk about grooming, I have a lot to say about that. I was very much groomed from the earliest of ages to, to be something that I am not. So the correction there is, is not that we're out here with some agenda to like turn more people gay or like grow our (laughs) ranks um, unnaturally, if you will, but it's like drag queens in particular, like the ones that that choose to do drag story hour and those kinds of things, like where we're reading books to kids, like that's not that that is that is a a, a act of volunteerism. Like that is those drag queens are not getting paid big money for that, and they're not out there like I don't know, like I don't I don't know what the like conservative like what they're picturing is happening at those, but we're reading stories to kids. In a costume, much like a Cinderella princess would at like a, a birthday party, that kind of thing. It's just storytelling in a costume. And it's if there is an intention or an, a 
quote unquote agenda behind it. It's just to show the breadth of uh, the the spec the beautiful spectrum of humanity, right? Like there are fabulous kids books about you know same sex parents, like 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 kids who have same sex parents, that kind of thing. Like those stories do get read at those events, and that's because that's real life. Like that's because some of those kids have two parents of the same gender. Like um, it's not. It's not an indoctrination. It's not a grooming. It's a, it's just talking about what already exists in the world. Mm-hmm. Like that's all that is. And making sure that those kids know that that's a normal experience and that they're loved in it. Right. Like that's all that is. So I don't even know what else to say about that. It's just such an absurd scapegoating, like very, to me, very transparent, like projection from a community that unfortunately does have a lot of, groomers and and not just like in the indoctrination side of that but the actual sexual groomers right. like like that's happening in churches that's not happening at drag story hours in libraries mm-hmm. i mean so. the southern baptist convention is literally under federal investigation for it so yes <laughs> yes yeah exactly well with all of that happening in the world right now, what are ways that people can support drag queens uh, with this target being placed on their back? What are ways that people can support folks uh, who are doing drag uh, other than listening to Good Day? <laughs> Definitely listen to Good Day. But uh, like, if you have never been to a local drag show, like in your town, like there is a local drag show in your town. I don't care how small your town is. All right. Like, even if it's just like, junior down the street is is like (laughs) dressing up in their bedroom and maybe singing to their mom like there's drag happening around you and you should go experience it and maybe you won't like it maybe it's not for you and that's totally fine like there's lots of art forms i don't like the screamo christian stuff i'm sorry mason i just don't i never got into it it's not for me but go experience it at least one time and see see what kind of community is happening in that space my guess is that you're going to be pretty damn surprised and you're actually going to maybe feel a little bit like you do when you go to church like a good church service not too much space between i I think like the good community that can happen in like um you know good church and then and then what's happening at drag shows like it's just us coming together to be seen to feel loved and uh to celebrate all of the fabulousness that that um we can contain as human beings and um so go and tip take take one dollar bills that's if you don't know you need to take a stack of ones and you tip the girls um or the kings the things there's all kinds of drag it's not just cis men who are dressing up as women drag is a huge spectrum and um so tip the gals and yeah at the very least like go watch the show we're here on hbo watch one episode of that that's easy to do. You don't have to leave your house. Um, and you probably have HBO Max or whatever it is, Max now. Um, whatever. Well, I've said before, my only complaint about drag as a Christian is there's not enough enough under oath being saying. So that's just my <laughs> that's my only complaint. Uh, okay. sounds well, like uh sounds like my complaint. Uh I'm gonna have to uh file that to somebody else because you're per- <laughs> you clearly you're not gonna be the person taking that complaint and uh and making something happen. I, I send me your favorite song, and I will see if there's a drag performance I can do with it. Okay, and if not, I'm sure there's a drag king who can probably like turn that out. So, well, here's the thing: is uh, you and I are going to be at the same event here in a couple That's months, right? And uh, I certainly will be singing Reliant K during karaoke. Uh, maybe there's a Reliant K 
kind of drag yeah. thing that we could do. Uh, I don't know if I'll dress in drag, but we could at least perform together. Come on, let's do it. I love that'd it. Be fun. Yeah, that'd be fun. I really love fun. it. Uh, all right, Flamey, how do you hope your drag inspires and liberates people who watch it, engage with it? Uh, but yeah, how, how do you hope it inspires and liberates them? Yeah, I think I just have to go back to the very first thing I said, which is that I hope it helps you disconnect from shame. Mm. I hope it I hope it teaches you and and gives you a an out um, from any shame that you're still holding on to for whatever reason about who you are or uh, how you want to your posture in the world, how you carry yourself. The things that people have like shamed you for um, are probably your actual superpower. And I hope that drag can can be a, a way for you to see that shame does not have a place. It's not for us. Love it. Love it. Last question. How can listeners get connected to you and your work? Uh, I'm at Flamey Grant on all the social medias. My music's on every streaming platform you could possibly want to listen. And um, flameygrant.com is my website. Like I said, I'm moving to North Carolina this week. And so I'm going to be doing Which a whole bunch. Which is a great place to go and do drag, right? <laughs> I mean, we're. I'm not going to lie. We, we have Coming we have from some, California, it's, I mean, yep. what a move. What a <laughs> great some, career we move. We have some nerves about it. But at the same time, it's kind of like the front lines. You know, Tennessee is the, probably the front front lines of... Uh, this stupid culture war that we unfortunately have to engage in. But um, yeah, I'm, we're going so that I can be there and, and, and have a presence like where it'll hopefully make a little bit more of a difference. San Diego is going to be fine without me, but um, I think we can have an impact. But in North Carolina needs you. Yeah, I hope so. So Love that. yeah, so I'll, I'm touring all over uh, East coast, Northeast, Midwest. So just check out my shows and come see me. Can't wait. Well, thank you so much for chatting a little bit more about you and your drag. It's just been so cool to see this story unfold. And so thank you so much for sharing a little bit more about it, how, uh, how it uh, has shaped your faith and your theology. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to see you soon. Thank you for having me. I can't wait. If you would like to connect with Flamey Grant and their work, you can find links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Menega. And remember, friends, go and be the theology to the world that inspires and liberates.